Lord, we just thank you for tonight, um, just for what you're going to do, what you already have purposed. Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge you. We acknowledge the gift that you are in our lives. We acknowledge your effectiveness. We acknowledge your purpose and your agenda in this church and in this service. And tonight, we just open up our hearts. We create good ground for you to pour into. We cast off all of the cares of this life, all of the things we may have come in here with, all of the burdens, all of the trials, all of the things. And right now, we exalt the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We exalt the gift that you are. We exalt your purpose. We exalt the victory that we walk in, in you above all things. And tonight we just open up and we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. How many people are just grateful and thankful in spite of? Amen. In spite of all of the things that are going on, um, but... When you come into a sureness of God, God's work in your life, it doesn't matter all of the external things. Amen. And so tonight, um, I, I've been talking to a couple of people, and I feel like, and I felt like for the entire week, that this message, if you take it in, it is a pivotal message, not just in the life of those that will receive it, but in our church. There have been different seasons where the Lord has had a specific word where he was chipping away and changing and kind of redirecting within the body. First, we went through a season where we had to learn about love. Then we went through a season where we had to learn about grace. Now God is bringing us back to the Holy Spirit and the importance and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And so I just ask you to open up tonight. I, I, I sincerely feel like it's going to be pivotal for you if you do. And so going to Ephesians um, chapter 1 and verse 3. And I'm going to be doing a lot of reading, so please just keep up um, with me as best you can. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to us in all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. So pretty much what this is saying is when God sent Jesus to earth, he was a revelation of the purpose um, that God had before the world was even created. Before it was even began, he purposed to redeem us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, right here in this section, verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we 
who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So what this is saying is from the moment that you heard the gospel, that you heard the, the ministry of who Christ was and you believed it and accepted it, you received the Holy Spirit. How many believers do I have in here? Because there's a lot of misconceptions about how you get the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is. But the Bible says that the minute you heard the gospel, that you perceived it as truth and you received it, that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, there is one baptism that comes and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit from the moment that you hear truth. In essence, it is an alien invasion. An alien is anything that is foreign, that is not of this world. The Holy Spirit is not of this world. He is of heaven. This is what makes us a peculiar people. This is what makes us a holy nation. This is what makes us set apart. We are literally embodying something that is not of this earth and not of this world, but it is from the Father, it is from the heavenlies. Yes, you are possessed with the Holy Spirit if you have received the word of truth, if you have accepted your salvation and the finished work of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Can we settle that right here and right now? Because I've had people say, well, how do I know? And, and how do I know? that I have it. That's settled right there. So verse 13, when it says that we're sealed, it's literally saying that we are stamped for security or preservation by implication to keep secretly, to attest. Literally, when God gave us his Holy Spirit and sealed us, he's saying, this is my stamp of approval, that when the time comes and when this world is done away with and when I take my church with me, you are already stamped, you are already sealed, you are already approved by my Holy Spirit. But in verse 14, when it says, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, the Holy Spirit is literally a down payment on something much bigger. He is the down payment of an inheritance that is ours. The minute that we accept Christ, we have been adopted. We are now royalty. We are now heirs. We are a part of a kingdom. Listen, you cannot be royal unless by blood. And so the minute that you accept Christ, you become royalty and there is, an, there is an inheritance that now belongs to you. See, I know that we now throw around the term king and queen very loosely. Everybody is king and everybody is queen. And listen, I think it's great if you have the understanding of it. But listen, royalty, many times people want to be royal because of the perks and the benefits that come with it. But royalty has responsibility too. It's a reason that Megan and Harry gave it up. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with royalty. So when we throw around the term king and queen and all of those things without the understanding, listen, the clerk at the 7-Eleven on Seven Mile and Inkster just got bopped over the head. Somebody came in there, robbed the place. I said, I bet you it was king. 
Bet you King went right in there and bopped him over the head because we just calling everybody King and Queen. Hey, King. Hey, Queen. Listen, we are King of Kings and Lord of Lords when we've come into the kingdom. When we've accepted the understanding of what Jesus has done for us, he's made us a king. He's made us a queen. But with that comes the understanding of the responsibility of not only what it cost him, but what it's going to cost us. So this inheritance, this partnership that comes, the Holy Spirit is a down payment on something much bigger, a bigger gift. And so when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, simply put, he's a gift. He is something freely given. You can put that first uh, picture up there. Just so we clear this up for one time and one time only, let's clear this up. The Holy Spirit is not something that you go to church and catch. I mean, I have coworkers that be like, yeah, I went to church yesterday. I caught the Holy Spirit. Like he a cold. Like he the corona. Y'all just done caught him. Like he running away. You got to just chase after him. He's not anything that you catch. He is something that is freely given by the Father. He is a gift. The Bible says that in the beginning, that he, the Spirit of God, hovered over the face of the deep. He was here at the beginning. He was here during creation. He literally is a part of the triune makeup. Hallelujah. So, when we're talking about who is the Holy Spirit, he is part of the triune makeup, the Trinity. God does things in threes, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The same way that the Trinity is divided into three, we are divided into three. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. Our spirit is the thing that the Holy Spirit communicates with. Our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions, our intellect. And our body is the thing that both possesses. And so when you're talking about who the Holy Spirit is, he has a separate function from God. God, he has a separate function from Jesus, but they all work together. They are three. Somebody say they are three, but they are one. Hallelujah. And so a lot of times, I think the thing that makes people feel a little indifferent concerning the Holy Spirit is he's referred to in some circles as the Holy Ghost. And who wants to be possessed by a ghost? You know, it gets a little weird and it gets a little strange the thought of, okay, so a ghost come and live in me. What does he do when he's there? The idea of it. But the reality is the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person. He has characteristics. He has personality. He has emotions. It is a reason that the Bible says not to grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve someone or something that does not have feelings, that does not have emotions. Now listen, he is God. So he's not like us. When I say emotions, he's not petty. He's not easily angered. He still represents the nature of God and everything that God is. But he is a person. And so... When dealing with who he is, we cannot really deal with who he is without establishing what it is that he does. What does he do? Listen, this is my favorite part of anything to talk about and teach. Because when you come into an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, 
his functions, what to expect from him, and how he operates in your life. It is literally life-changing. You go from being the average, everyday Christian to someone who is empowered with something that you never thought was possible. If you are missing this component, listen, you are a part of a club where you just have a number, but you are missing all of the benefits. It is like flying all over the country and getting all of these frequent flyer miles and never cashing them in. It is like someone giving you a gift on Christmas and you look at it and you say it's amazing, but you never use it. It is like coming into a club where you accept and you sign up and you say, you know, these are all of the things that are supposed to come to me but you never use them. This is even bigger than that. This is the best gift that he could have given you in your salvation. And if you are not utilizing this, you may as well just be like everybody else who didn't accept their salvation, who did not accept the sacrifice that Jesus made, because listen, this is the thing that sets everyday life apart from the supernatural. The Bible says that he told us greater works than him would we do. And it is because we are embodying the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus died, the Holy Spirit would only come and rest on people. But after he died, he made us a home and now he lives inside of us. And only greater works are possible by someone who possesses and it's indwelled by a spirit that would only come and rest on people. The Bible says that when Samson, the reason Samson was so powerful and was able to do all of the things that he did, because the Bible says the Holy Spirit would come and rest on him, empowering him to do those mighty acts. When the prophets would prophesy in the Old Testament, it was because the spirit would come and rest on them. But when Jesus died, he said, I would send an advocate and he would live inside of you. I would not leave you as orphans. And so he gave us something that they could not obtain because his death made it possible for the Holy Spirit to now live inside of you and function inside of you. Not just something that comes and goes only to achieve his purpose, but now to make us a home where he can function inside of us. And so if this is something that you are not tapping into, you are missing out on all of the things that I am getting ready to talk about. So in John chapter 14, 15 through 27, it says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Somebody say forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and show myself to them. Now, I want you to drop down to verse 25. And it says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so when we're talking about the functions of the Holy Spirit, the first thing that he is is an advocate. Somebody say an advocate. An advocate is someone who supports a cause or a policy. He literally is the one who steps in and begins to advocate on your behalf. He's the one that goes to the Father and says, I know this is going on and I know that is going on, but here is my plan and my purpose to bring them to this place. And so he is the one who is inside you working for you, working out the plan and the will of God. Now go to uh, John chapter 16, 12 through 15, moving on to talking about the functions of the Holy Spirit. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So the Bible is saying, I hope that was the right verse. Let me make sure. Yes, it was. That he is the spirit of truth. Somebody say the next function is that he is the spirit of truth. His job is to be a truth bringer. Everything that is anti-reality in your life, he confronts. Listen, every bit of trouble that I've ever gotten into, every identity crisis I've ever had, every bad decision that I've ever made has been rooted in a lie. It has been rooted in an understanding that is outside of truth. And so his job is to come and to bring truth, to confront, to confront every lie, everything that we believe that is anti what he says, anti who he is, anti who we are. He is the one that confronts every lie in your life. Now, when the Bible says that he leads us and that he guides us into all truth, the reason that he has to lead and the reason that he has to guide is because most times the truth that he is trying to reveal to us is hidden. Truth that is, that is easily seen is not the type of truth that the Holy Spirit is leading you in. It is the things that are buried deep. It is the things in your subconscious. It is the things in the past. It is the things that have come and that have gone that you have not grasped. It is the hidden agendas. It is the works of the enemy that are at work subconsciously. It is all of those things. And when he is leading us and when he is guiding us, listen, let me tell you something about the job of a truth bringer. It's not easy because sometimes when you tell people the truth and they're not prepared for it, you're now the enemy. It's been many times that I'll sit and say, now, how can I say this? Because I know they're not going to like it, but I got to say it anyway. So let me give them a spoonful of sugar first because the nasty stuff is coming thereafter. Listen, when we talk about truth, sometimes we tend to think of all of the good things and the great things and the things that feel convenient. And listen, that is his job. But most times when he's leading and guiding us to things, it's the dirty stuff. It's the stuff you don't like to hear. It's the stuff you're unaware of. It's the stuff that he spoke in 10 different ways and you don't want to hear it and you don't want to receive it. And so his job is to get you there and he has to lead you and guide you. And sometimes he's guiding you around pitfalls. He's guiding you around things 
things you've seen and you've ignored. He's guiding you around things that you know is the truth, but you don't want to receive it. So he's got to come the back way because, listen, he's not going to change his mind. He's not going to change what the truth is, but he's going to get you there one way or the other. And so when he's leading us and when he's guiding us is to get us there by peeling back layer after layer to get to the root of what it is. This is his function. This is his job. Jesus said, it's better that I go away so that I can send you an advocate for he won't come unless I go. Listen, they're not stepping on top of each other. He had a specific function. He had a specific job. And that is what he's going to do in your life. And most times when we're not acknowledging him, it's because we don't like that side of his function and that side of his job. We don't like what the truth costs us, especially if we've been dabbling in lies and if we've been interacting with lies, there is damage that comes with it. And when you sit and look at the damage and what accepting the truth will cost, most times we step back and say, I'm not ready for that truth. And so his job is to lead and to guide you, is to direct you, is to get you there. Listen, when we, when, when, when the truth confronts what we desire, we now have a problem. When the truth is saying, no, that's not it. I mean, I can remember many different times in the course of my dating and in the course of my courting where I really had such a strong relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I mean, I would like people, y'all. I would really like people. I'd be like, Lord, I just really like him. Y'all, I'm glad Pastor Gill ain't here because if he was here, he'd get home like, so who did you really like? But I mean, I would really like people, really like them, like really wanted to be a possibility. And I would go, you know, and I would be praying and I'd be like, Lord, so what do you think? The Holy Spirit would just be like, no. No. And I'll be like, okay. You know, and so if I didn't really, really like them, I would accept it. But if I really like them, I go out on a couple more dates. Because that's what we do when our desire is confronted by truth. So I go out on a couple more dates just to see if his no lined up. Like, why are you saying no? We just hard-headed, y'all. Just flat-out hard-headed. So I go out on a couple more dates. And I can remember it was one guy that I really liked. Like, he was, you know, he had his stuff together. He was in business. And so the Lord had already said no. He already said no. I mean, I even had a dream and everything. And I was like, well, Lord, you know, I just want to go out like for a free dinner. Man, I'm just telling y'all, I'm just, Bobby, don't be shaking your head. Just y'all just go ahead, download Groupon. It'll be a little cheaper for you. (laughs) And so I went out on this day anyway. And so this was the first time that I started getting into like, theological conversation. And so I I can't really remember what I asked him, but it was, listen, ABC 123, Children's Church, Graceland Ministry, uh, question. And that answer, he may as well be like, my mommy said, I was like, I was like, this is not going to work. <laughs> I could never marry you. I, I mean, I just, 
I know me, like, just being able to submit to, my mommy said it. Nope. And so I saw then why he said no, just the understanding of it. But I was hard-headed. I went out anyway. And so a lot of times when your desire, like for me, that's minor because I was able to pull away and follow the path of God. But there's been bigger things, y'all. There's been bigger things. There's, there's, everybody has that one thing where it confronts what you want as opposed to what God says. Because most times, listen, he didn't say no because this and that, da-da-da. He'll just say no. Because he's dependent on your trust and your relationship with him for that to be enough. We be wanting to know all of this stuff. And the truth of the matter is, if he told you, you wouldn't believe it anyway. Because if your trust and your relationship is not in the right place, he can go down a whole list and you would be like, he could be like, well, he's an axe murderer. Well, Lord, he would never saw me up with an axe. You ain't going to believe it anyway because your trust ain't in the right place. So, so he's depending on that relationship for no or yes to be enough. Amen. So the next function, Romans 8, 26 through 28. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so the next function of the Holy Spirit is to be an intercessor. Now, I know in this verse and and in two weeks, I'm going to get into all of the functions and the fruit and all of the things that the Holy Spirit functions in. Um, In this verse, a lot of people associates this with tongues, those who have the gifts of tongues. But listen, no, you do not have to ha- speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit. Okay, I want to I deal with that right here and right now, and I'm going to elaborate in a couple weeks. But no, you do not have to speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he has many functions. That is one of them. But you have to come into a belief that that is something that has been given to you. The importance of it is it is his way to intercede for you. The reason that we have to speak in tongues and the reason that he has to intercede and groans and all of those things is most times we're not ready for what he's praying for. The Bible says that he prays the will of God. He's not praying your will. If you could hear what he was saying, you'd be over there like, God, I just love him. I just want him. And you'd be like, Shana, you know what he's saying? She don't know no better. She don't want him. She don't love him. Do not give her him. Break them up, Father. Tear it up and tear it down. You'd be like, God, just make him a man of God. He will never be a man of God, Father. No, they cannot be together. He don't want you to hear what he's praying. He don't want you to know nothing he's saying. You will shut it all the way down. But listen, when you, when you come into a place 
where your relationship and your trust in the function of the Holy Spirit is what it should be. It's possible to pray in the Spirit and not pray in tongues. There have been times that that I have gotten into a flow in my prayer life where I am speaking just like I'm speaking now, but the things that are coming out of me, I know that he is interceding and advocating not just for me, but for others. I am speaking things that I would not be able to speak on my own and knowing things that I would not be able to know on my own, but it is when your spirit is married to his spirit inside of you and you have an understanding and a trust of his function in your life. And so as an intercessor, he is always going to pray the will of the Father. That is an insurance and a security that you should want, even if it looks nothing like what you want, even if it looks nothing like what you think. The next thing, and I'm getting ready to wrap this up. Um, I have so much on this on this topic, but I don't want to keep us long. Is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 6 through 13. And I know I told um, the media team 6 through 13, but if you can go to verse 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, The things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his what? By his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Hold on, guys. I'm sorry. Got to make sure I'm reading the right thing. Yes, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Listen, the last function, and he has many functions, but what I'm dealing with tonight, these things that I feel like is very important to give to you, is that he is a revealer of God's intentions. He reveals God's plans and intentions, the good things that God has for us. He is the one that begins to uncover the plans. You know, many people quote that verse, no eye has seen, no ear has heard all of the things that God has for us. But the next verse said, but these things are revealed to us by his spirit. How many people have experienced God showing you good things that are to come, whether through somebody else by a prophetic word or through your own prayer life or through dreams or many things that have not happened, but he shows them to you. He is revealing them by his spirit. And so his next function is to be a revealer of God's intentions because the Bible says that he searches the mind of God and he searches our mind. But let me tell you something even better. If he's searching God's mind and if he's searching your mind, he is also searching other people's minds. And so when it comes to a sense of truth, 
He is the one that is going and he's searching out everything that surrounds you, everything that is happening. And when he comes with the no or when he comes with the yes or when he comes with whatever it is, it is because he's already searched out everything that needs to be seen. Listen, many of us, we go on these reconnaissance missions where we be hiding in bushes and searching through phones I mean, we act like we work for the military, getting intel on people, trying to figure out stuff and finding out stuff, snooping. Listen, if you just get the Holy Spirit, you don't have to do none of that. If you just tap into the Holy Spirit and his function, he will tell you when somebody's up to no good. He'll tell you when they're not the one that should be in your life. He'll tell you when it's a friendship you shouldn't have. He'll tell you when people are doing underhanded things. Listen, I've had bosses who couldn't get past him. They'll be smiling and tipping in your face, and I'll be at home in prayer, and he'll be like, now this is everything that's going on. And, and let me be very clear. The Holy Spirit is not like people. We are very suspicious of everybody. We'll chalk up his voice to our suspicion. Yeah, girl, I think she be. We'll blame him in a hot second. He ain't said nothing. You just suspicious. He's not suspicious. When he comes, he comes with truth. And so all of these things that we feel like we have to do to get to truth, all you have to do is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Any truth that he reveals is always for your good. Amen? And so as I wrap this up, the question is, why do I need him? Why do I need him? Romans 8, 3 through 13, and it says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Listen, when you are living outside of the walk of the spirit, your flesh is not something that operates in faith. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. When you are walking in the flesh, you are literally hostile to the things of God, to the truth of God, to the plan of God, to the nature of God. The Bible is saying you cannot even perceive it. It is impossible. But when you are walking in the spirit, you are literally fulfilling his plan and his purpose in your life. You are married to him. You say, why do I need the Holy Spirit? If for nothing else, it is saying that it is a function and it is a fruit that provides you peace. Many of us that live in depression and anxiety and sadness and sorrow, we're up and we're down and we have no sense of temperament over ourselves. It is because it is absent of the spirit and his part of his promise is that he would bring us peace. 
righteousness, joy, and peace in what? The Holy Spirit. And so when you're talking about why I need him, it's not just because he's an advocate and he's an intercessor and he leads you and guides you into all truth. Many people all over the world spend all types of money just to get peace. Just to get peace. When it is something that cannot be obtained outside of walking in the spirit. And it says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit, in verse 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You know, in Acts chapter 1 and 8, When Jesus said, when my spirit will come, when he was talking to the disciples and talking about leaving, and he said he was going to send his spirit, an advocate who was a promise, that when he comes, that they would be filled with power. That they would be filled with power, not just power to go preach and, and power to perform all of these healings in this act power to live power to live power to live if you are trying to achieve this life that is is functional and that has peace and that is without all of these these pitfalls and these traps and you are doing it absent of the power that the holy spirit gives you are no doubt failing For that is where your strength and that is where your ability and that is where walking in the spirit comes from. We have associated walking in the spirit with something weird that makes you pious and that makes you this super spiritual person that is not able to connect with other people. It is simply the gift that has been given to us where when we live it out, we reflect who Jesus is. It is when we live it out, we are able to come into full function of him. When people say, you know, when we, when we talk about being filled with the spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and this is something I'm going to expound on in two weeks. Remember I said at the beginning of the message that when you receive your salvation, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he resides in your spirit. He communicates with you spirit to spirit. But when you are filled with the spirit, 
when he has full indwelling, this is when he is also able to come and fill your soul. The part of you that is mind, will, and emotions, the part of you that makes decisions, the part of you that decides if you're going to walk in the flesh or in the spirit. When you have, when he has full indwelling, this is when he is not just living in your spirit. The part of you that is already redeemed, the part of you that is already righteous, the part of you that looks like him, but it is when he now has access to cross over into the side of you that has a choice. The side of you that can determine if you're going to do the right thing or the wrong thing. It is something that when he is able to position himself, not just in this part that looks like him, but the part that can look like something else. That is, this is when you have full indwelling. And when he has possessed your spirit and he has possessed your soul, now the body begins to look like him. This is when all three parts are filled with who he is and all three parts function with who he is. This is what it means means to walk in the spirit this is what it means and so I say to you tonight in 1 Corinthians 2 14 and 16 when we're talking about why we need the Holy Spirit the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, human intellect. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ because we have the Spirit. So let's, let's just settle this right now, right here already. We've already established that if you have given your heart to the Lord and if you have come into salvation and accepted the finished work of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But we are going to take this a step further to where it is now time to entertain him and fellowship with him so that his full function can happen in your life. Can you stand on your feet? I wasn't even able to get to all of my notes, and I know that I will the second time around. But when I was studying for this message, the Lord spoke two things to me. He told me that if you would embrace the understanding of who he is, that your life is going to change. He literally is intel. He is like a built-in FBI agent, CIA agent. He is pulling intel from everywhere to bring into your life. One of his functions is to give wisdom. When you, when you see people prophesy and give words of knowledge about things they would never know, who do you think that is? 
That is the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. That is the function of the Holy Spirit. And listen, I'm, I'm not trying to feed this hunger for him just so you can prophesy or just so you can do those things. Some of us have to learn how to live. We need to learn how to wake up every day and not be depressed or anxious or sad or or wrestling with things that are bringing us down. Listen, before he wants to do any of those things that we deem as great and these great spiritual things, he wants to be there to teach you how to live in righteousness, joy, and peace. And if you embrace this, if you embrace his function, it will change your life. But the other thing that he spoke to me, which I was like, man, is he specifically said tonight that he wants to be anger management. And I said, Lord, like, what do you mean? He said, I'm anger management. And so I said, man, you know, anger management. So I kept studying and I kept praying. And I came to the verse where it says not to grieve the Holy Spirit. But when it said not to grieve the Holy Spirit, in the same passage, it talk about being angry and sinning not. It talked about how when anger resides inside of us and when we do not deal with it through the Spirit, it leads to sin. Now, when we talk about sin, whenever most Christians hear the word sin, the first thing, the first three things we think of is somebody having sex, somebody drinking, and somebody doing drugs. Like, we love those, y'all. Because if we was going to sin, it was going to be one of those. We was going to go find somebody, we was going to go drink something, and we was going to go smoke some weed. It's one of the three. If the Lord was like, just go head on for five seconds, it's going to be one of the three. I just give you a free pass. All right, Lord, it's going to be eeny, meeny, miny, mo. It's one of the three. So when we hear sin, that's where our mind goes. But listen, the definition of sin is to miss the mark. So where fornication may be a sin for me, if he's pulling on you every day at 7 a.m. and he's asking you to pray and you've already acknowledged that it is the Holy Spirit telling you to pray and to get up to pray and you refuse to do it, you've sinned. You've missed the mark, the standard that he set for you, the place that he set for you. Sin is not just these acts that we engage in. It is when we are falling short of the glory of God that he set for our lives. And so when he said anger management, most people and most times that I've been angry, that I've really been angry, it is because of things that I don't understand. It's because of things that happen that you don't have understanding for. And if his function is to lead and guide you into what? With his truth comes an understanding that now deals with the anger. And when he said anger management, listen, this ain't about going to a class to learn how not to bop somebody upside the head when you get mad. 
This isn't about going to a class to figure out how not to get physical when you get angry. Sometimes anger management is giving explanation to the thing so that it can leave. So that you're no longer ruled by it. So that you are no longer living in a place to where you're now missing the mark that he has set for you. When anger resides in us, to think about it, it is so deceitful. You'll feel the emotions of it and you'll think just because the emotion have left that the anger has left. But no, root, anger is not rooted in an emotion. It is rooted here in your thinking. And the thing is, it will surface at an inopportune time. You'll think that thing is gone and you're fine and you've resolved it. But as soon as something else that looks like it or feels like it comes up, now you're responding for the thing that happened before and the thing that happened before that and now the thing that is happening now and when you have anger inside you without a sense of understanding what it does is it perverts truth and it brings you into a place where you are now functioning or not functioning and the Lord wants to deal with that tonight I I mean I just was like man talking about a message on the Holy Spirit and the one thing that he brought up is that he wants to deal with anger tonight. Father, right now, I pray that if there is any unresolved anger inside of us that you will begin to bring it to the surface. Whatever it is, bring it to the surface right now. If it is buried deep, I pray that it comes to the surface. I pray that it comes to the surface. Holy Spirit, begin to uproot it. Come, Bring it up to the surface. Bring it up to the surface right now. We refuse to be deceived about its presence. We refuse to be deceived about how it is operating inside of us. God, even if it is something small, I even hear the Holy Spirit saying, don't be afraid to acknowledge that it's there because some of you are saying, well, I've already forgiven that person. And feeling like you're acknowledging it makes you feel as though you haven't forgiven them. But God is saying, no, don't, don't stuff it back down. Don't try to say that it's not there because I'm going to deal with it tonight. Father, right now, I pray that the presence of anger inside of us, those that have been victimized, those that have been hurt, those that have been manipulated and taken advantage of, Father, bring it to the surface if it is there. If it is functioning in our lives, if it is functioning at a level that is keeping us from, from, from hitting the mark that you have set, I pray that it comes to the surface right now. If you know that is you, please come down to this altar.